You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. This morning we've been doing um, a Back to Basics series, haven't we? Over It's sort of been interrupted a few times, but we've been, we've been going through that sort of regularly. And we've had a number of messages so far um, talking about knowing Jesus, the Bible, about prayer. Um, and this morning I get the privilege of talking... Um, to you on what is probably one of my favourite subjects, which is community. Um, now, often God puts topics on our hearts for, for a long period of time, and I think it usually happens for two reasons. One is because it's important to him, and the other one is you've not mastered it yet. And so that's that's kind of where I am with this, um, in that sense. Um, I... Hopefully, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to inspire, give you something good and something to take away. Um, but just as much as, um, as maybe not all of us have, have got this right. And I think with all this, all these series, these back to basics series, not all of us have got everything right as it, as it should be. But we're, we're on a journey, aren't we? When we, we're, um, in different places with that. So this morning, um, that's what God's laid on my heart to speak about. And, and I want to throw three questions at this word community. Um, hopefully, they'll help us frame this discussion a little bit and they'll help us to um, figure out why it's important, why it's something that, that God um, talks about and wants us to, to be involved in. And those questions are um, what, why, and how? Nice and simple. Uh, why, what is community? Why do we need it and how do we do it? So that's what I, I sort of want to do to, to frame what we're doing this morning. Um, and, you know, why don't you turn in your Bibles? It's going to come up on the screen, um, but this is going to be our sort of scripture to frame everything that we're doing this morning. It's Hebrews um, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It'll be up there on the... Oh, it's up there on the screen already. Fantastic. Good job, Tom. Um, okay, so I'll have to read it from here because I've not got, anyway, I've not got supervision. I can't see that one. So, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So that's our passage for this morning. And I just want to pull out a couple of things and we'll sort of, we'll sort of go through, um, as, as we, as we go on with it. Um, firstly, we're encouraged to keep meeting together, not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And why? Well, in this, in this passage, it's saying that it's in order that we can spur each other on, that we can encourage each other towards two things, love and good deeds. Now, I find it interesting that the, um, that the writer to the Hebrews uses the word habit, because habit's a funny thing, isn't it? It's, um, if you do something consistently and for long enough, it becomes a habit, it becomes something that you do. It becomes like second nature or natural to you. So in that sense, people have got into the habit, in, in, the, um, in this passage, people have got into the habit of, of not meeting together, which is interesting, isn't it? Um, because you just do it without considering. 
you just you just not going not meeting together is is the thing that we we sort of do well for these people anyway and uh, but to break a habit requires us to actually think about it it requires us to actually formulate thoughts and go hold on a minute this thing that I'm doing that I always do is probably not what I'm supposed to do you get it, you get it when you're um when you've been driving for a while, don't you? You get bad habits that you're not supposed to cross your hands as you turn the wheel, and everyone does, and you know, these, these things, but you have to consciously think to stop yourself from doing these things. So to break a habit requires a conscious thought. And, and I kind of got from that, I, I kind of thought, you know, behavioral change is never an accident. It's always a conscious choice. But getting stuck into something is something that we can just do, we can just, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. And, and we sort of, we find ourselves, find ourselves way over here when actually we started out over here. And that's, that's can be a problem, can't it? But it requires us a conscious choice to make that change. And so the writer re- really is encouraging us to make it a habit to meet together. And why is it a good habit? Well, simply because it'll encourage us to love one another. Um, it'll encourage us to do good deeds. Two, two pretty cool things that I think are good, good things that we can draw from that. But, you know, love is the thing that he puts first. And out of that comes the good deeds. And so it's out of that overflow of once we get a grasp of what love is about, then out of that comes these good deeds, comes these things that we, we're supposed to be doing that are, that are good and that are positive. So we're not giving up on meeting together. But what does that mean? Is the writer to the Hebrews talking about going to church on Sunday for a couple of hours? That's the question. Because when we look at, when we look at what is community, we, we gather from, from that passage, if we, if we interpret meeting together as coming together on a Sunday for a couple of hours and then all going home, home and not seeing anyone for the rest of the week or not contacting anyone or you know, getting in our little shell, then are we understanding what community is? Are we understanding what it is? See, to understand what the text means, to understand what the, the writer is saying, we need to look at what's going on at the time in the first century. So what does it mean, what does it, what does it mean to meet together for those early Christians? And I think we get a quite a good example of this from Acts 2, um, verses 42 to 47, which again is up there on the screen. Hopefully it's big enough for people to see. Um, if not, just trust me that I'm saying the right thing. Um, so Acts 2, 42 to 47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and encouraging, enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So meeting together then, Community, like it's, it's pretty tough, isn't it? Like you read that, you're like, oh, hold on, this is this is a big deal. This requires me to do something. 
what it was for the earliest Christians is different than gathering on a Sunday for an hour or two. Verse 46 says every day they, they met together. You know, there's a few things that I want to pick up out of this passage, you know. That, that sort of give us this idea that a community of believers ought to be a community that, that builds each other up. It looks different from the world around it. Um, we need to be people who can offer a different solution to what the world's offering. Because we carry something different than what the world offers. We were going through um, our Corinthians course um, the, the other week and, and this thing came up about um, the church being God's temple because the church is the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. You know, and actually we carry in the Spirit of God where, where we go, where we, where we are, where we meet together, we're carrying something different than the world offers. So we need to look different. We need to look like we are actually different. So, church, we talk about church, we talk about going to church. In the, in a sense, it's another word for community. It's like a community group. Um, and it's much more than that, but in the, in its very basic form, you go right back to the Greek, you've got this word ecclesia, which is the word that we translate as church, but it's, it's, Root meaning is, is called out ones, ones who are called out into something. And they would, um, they would use this word ecclesia to apply to all sorts of different organizations. So an organization, a group of people who gathered together was like an ecclesia. And this was the word that the earliest Christians sort of took on for themselves. And they did pretty well with the word because they're the only ones who are called it now. You know, we're, we're called the church. It's not, you don't have the, uh, the golf church and the, uh, you know, the tennis church, the football church, do you? They, they've taken the word club. We've kept this word. Um, but in the, in a sense, it's, that's, that's what it, it meant. It's, it's a sort of everyday normal word, really. Um, but it was a community that offered something different. And the church as a community is more than just like a Sunday meeting where you get your weekly fix of God. Um, it's a community of transformation. See, we ourselves are transformed. We live it, uh, a life that's been transformed by the Spirit of God. We've, we've had a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. And as such, we're, we're people who ought to be building towards what this kingdom is like building towards what the kingdom of God is right here where we are in Burgess Hill, in our homes, in our, in our jobs, um, other places that we go. I don't know. Where do people go? Waitrose. People down it. <laughs> people like, I don't like Waitrose. I can't. It's too posh for me. It is. I'm more of an Asda man or Tesco. Anyway, <laughs> we're getting off track anyway. <laughs> No, as we look at, as we look in this passage in Acts, we see some of what it looks like to be a community like, like this. They were together. They had everything in common. You know, how often do we get together? How often can we say we have everything in common? They sold properties and, and gave to anyone who needed it. How often have, have we sacrificed something in our own life that 
that has been for the benefit of those around us. They met together daily. How often do we make time for each other out of, out of this, outside of a Sunday? And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. When's the last time you invited someone to your home? When's the last time you had communion outside of a Sunday service just because you were with other Christians? You know, it's challenging stuff, isn't it? It should be a challenge to us. Because if we can't, if we can't do that for those within our community, how can we show others around us that we're a community that offers something different? How can we show others around us what the kingdom of God looks like if we can't even do it for our brothers and sisters in the room? It's a challenge, and it's a challenge to me, and it's a, it's a challenge to all of us, I think. So, why do we need it? Why do we need community? Aside from the simple fact that it's biblical, um, and that probably should be good enough for, for, for all of us, um, I came up with a couple of thoughts. And to do this, I want to look at, at briefly at the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. Um, where Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. You don't need to turn to it. Um, you can if you want. The question that I want to pose and hopefully answer in, in a sense is, how are disciples made? Because Jesus asks us to go and make disciples. So how do we, how do we make disciples? What is a disciple? How, how do we make one? Um, and when, when we look at this, this great commission in the light of what um, what we as Christians often do. I sometimes wonder if we really know how disciples are made. Because Jesus didn't say, go and preach the gospel everywhere, standing on all street corners, lifting up your voice and telling people how good he is. He didn't say, go and sit in churches everywhere for an hour or two on a Sunday and forget about me for the rest of the week. He actually said, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And and I thought about, like, but how do we make disciples? How do we actually do it? And I thought, well, there must be a case study somewhere in the Bible of someone who spent some time trying to make disciples. And I thought, yeah, Jesus. Jesus did that, didn't he? <laughs> spent some time trying to make disciples. So I thought, okay, right, we'll go, to, we'll go there. We'll go to what Jesus did. Um, and then you look at it and you go, Hold on, Jesus spends three years of his life investing in 12 people. Like, you can hardly imagine the, the, the greatest megachurch pastor coming up on stage at this massive conference and introducing them. And, you know, this guy, he's grown a church over the last three years. He's grown a church of 12 people. And to be honest, they're not really following him that well. Um, but we've got him to speak for you anyway. Like, no one's going to listen, are they? No one's going to listen if, if, that's what, if that's what you've been doing. But Jesus does something unpopular. He spends the time that it takes to grow a community, to invest in people. You see, discipleship requires community. It requires that investment. It requires time and effort and commitment and a thick skin at times, and the messiness of, of human relationships. But actually, if we look at, if we read in the Great Commission, right, it's what we're all called to do. We're all called to do this. We're called to be a corporate expression of the kingdom of God, not 
not individualize, but look beyond ourselves, look outside of ourselves to those around us. And actually, community is the appropriate response of being in Christ. Because when the church is, is truly the church, it offers this environment in which all people are equal. All people are one in Christ Jesus. Do you remember that phrase from somewhere? We all share in the inheritance of God's kingdom because we're all sons and daughters together, adopted into his kingdom through the faithfulness of Christ. Now, I've got Galatians 3, 26 to 28 on screen. I'll just read it briefly. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, it says that we're all children of God through through faith because we've been baptized into Christ and clothed ourselves with Christ. And, and it's because of this that there's these distinctions that the world puts on people and not distinctions that we need to draw in the church because actually our identity is ultimately what God says our identity is and not what the world says that our identity is. And this theme runs throughout Paul's letters. He, he quite likes this theme. And he talks about us being one body because we all share in one bread. And again, it's that theme of like, you might be different. You might look different to each other. You might do different jobs and do different things. And you might have completely different pasts and different histories and, and done different, all sorts of different stuff in your life, good and bad. But when you come through into the community of God, you're all one because you're all sharing one bread. You're all one body because you've all been baptized into Christ. See, he's giving these visual reminders. You know, we, we know what baptism is. We can, we can get our heads around it. We know what um, communion, sharing what in one bread is. We can get our heads around it. But what is the bigger picture, the image that he's sharing with us? He's saying it's, we're a community. We're actually drawn together. Our shared identity is the one that usurps the individual identity. You know, he talks again about us being citizens of heaven. Um, and you know what? We, we're called out as people who are defined as people in Christ. We've got this shared common identity. And that's more important that's the that's the main thing for when we when we talk about what our identity is you know i can say that i'm i'm british um i can say that i'm northern um you know <laughs> can't tell can you um but actually the first the first thing that defines who i am well i'm in christ you know and that's that's my definition that's who i am i'm a son of of the Most High God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and as are you, son or daughter of, of the Most High God. And so, our lives then are not, not about paying lip service to this new identity. I'm not just this person for a couple of hours on a Sunday. I'm this person all the time, so I shouldn't pay lip service in my actions to who I am. I should live like who I am. Um, live a life that's transformed and that's, that's like cross-shaped within the community of God. But how? 
Like, how do we do it? Um, and it's a tough question because people are busy. We've got busy lives. We do lots of things. Um, some of us are, are introverts and need our space and don't want to spend our time with, with everyone all the time. Um, but there's a principle of community that I've been trying to draw out. And that's what we need to look at in the, in the practical sense of like, how do we, how do we actually apply this for wherever we are? You know, and it might be a small step. It might be a big step. We might be all at different stages on this, on this journey as well. Um, but this principle all comes down to looking different from the world, offering something that's different than the world offers. Um, 1 Corinthians um, 11, um, verses 17 to 34, which I'm not going to read because it's quite long, but it's a fantastic passage about, um, about the trouble that's faced by the church in Corinth because, they're, what, they're, because of what they're doing at their shared community mealtimes. And basically, they're living like everyone else in the world lives. They're doing things in the way that we normally do them, but just putting a Jesus bit on there, you know. Um, there's this issue going on in the church, and, and you, you find if you read through, you've got the poor people that are not being properly cared for by the community. The, the ones who have are basically shunning the ones who don't have. And this is exemplified in their, in their gatherings. And Paul says, when you come together to eat, you're saying you're eating the Lord's Supper. It's not really the Lord's Supper that you're eating. Because you're looking after your stomachs. You're overeating. You're getting drunk. You're, whilst the poorer members of the community, they, they don't even have anything. They don't have any food. They don't, they don't, they're not being cared for. And you just, you don't care. Um, so he's pretty harsh with them. But he's saying, where, where's the love that you're supposed to talk about? You know, you call this a love feast. Where's the love? Like, where's the sacrifice? You know, right in the middle of this passage, there's the bit that we normally read when we do communion. And, and normally we forget about the other stuff around it. But this bit in the middle is key because it's, it's the key to unlocking the rest of that passage. Because what that bit in the middle talks about is the sacrifice of Jesus. And, and Paul's saying, like, if, if Jesus could sacrifice his own life, if he could give himself... How can you not even sacrifice a little bit with each other? How can you not even share with each other when you're supposedly remembering him? You're not doing a very good job of remembering him if you can't remember, like, the whole point. And that's, and that's what he's getting at, really. He's saying, you know, look at yourselves, um, not taking proper care of, of the, the poor, the body of the believers, you're, some are higher up than others, and there's all this stuff going on. How can it be the Lord's Supper if you're dishonouring the sacrifice that he made? And Paul's conclusion is to suggest that they do this as often as they meet together. Now, that's an interesting one, isn't it? He doesn't say, just don't bother doing it anymore because you're doing it wrong. He's saying, this is how it's supposed to be done, and if you do this as often as you meet together, then maybe you'll start remembering how it's supposed to be done. Maybe you'll start acting like the thing that you're saying that you're supposed to be doing. You know, putting others first, remembering to put others first. I, I feel like um, as, as Christians, as people who call ourselves in Christ, we ought to be people who prioritize others above ourselves in remembrance of Christ. Because that's what he did, isn't it? 
Uh, and we need to share with one another, open our homes, uh, meeting with one another, making time for each other, loving one another. Jesus says, doesn't he, that, that people will know that we're his disciples if we have love for one another. But it's no good as just saying that. It's no good as talking about love from the stage on a Sunday morning and then everyone just, just going off and doing, doing their own thing. And that's the key to understanding what community is, you know. How did Jesus love us? He loved us sacrificially. And that's how we're called to, to love one another. As a, as a sacrificial community, putting, us, putting aside our own desires um, for the needs of others. Um, I, remember, I remember a story, just like a little anecdote, of, of um, someone who got really, really upset because there was a, there was a guy who was, um, was not very well off in the church, and uh, not this church, I must, must add, um, a different church. Um, and this guy was not very well off and, um, and he couldn't get his kids to school for the next week. He needed like 20 quid for the bus to um, send his kids, kids to school for the next week. And he, he was complaining about this. I don't, don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to find the money. Um, and this, this guy who was um, recalling this, the story was um, saying, oh, it's just so terrible, isn't it? Like the church need to just like put their hands in their pockets and, and give him the money that he needs. Like, I can't believe the church are not giving him the money. And, uh, and this was a guy from the church. And, and then he pr- proceeds to get into his private reg car and, um, and, and, drive, and drive home. And, and it made me think, like, what are we talking about when we talk about the church? Who are we talking about when we talk about the church? Because actually, whose job is it to look after your brother or sister in Christ? Is it a corporate thing? Or is it a thing that we're all involved in? See, I think this community transformation is a grassroots level thing. It's not something about the church organisation. Like, we can put on programmes and events to try and encourage people to meet together. We can put on nights of this and night of that and, and a and you know an afternoon of this or you know it's actually that's us trying to sort of kickstart this but actually it comes from all of us making that decision to get into the habit of meeting together making that decision to to join with each other and share our lives together like family do what's actually required is that change in attitude because do you remember right at the beginning I talked about how behavioural change um, is not an accident. It's something that requires us to actually think about it. And it's that change in attitude that, that, um, that we need in order to, to value community as, as a biblical outworking of what the kingdom of God is. Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who loved us sacrificially, didn't he? You know, the church is not an organisation, it's an organism. And actually, that is where we need to, what we need to remember. It's not about, it's not about standing, um, like me standing on the stage and telling 
speaking to you guys. It's not about um, organizing big events and and doing things where people come to. It's not like a program. It's it's about us living like we've been transformed by God. And that's something that we need to, I feel like we need to really get into. And as I said right at the beginning, I'm on a journey with this. This is why God challenges me with this is because, you know, there's there's times where, where I'm terrible at it. You know, and I'll just, I'll just hide away and I'm like, oh, can't be doing with this. But, um, but actually, we need it, don't we? We need it because we're called into it. It's organic, it's grassroots, it's, it's growing, developing, it's alive and active. And it's not because of the, the worship that we put on, it's not because of the facilities that we, we have, or it's not because of the services. It's because people are sold out for living the kingdom way, the way that God calls us into living. You know, I've, I've written that, that we need to be sold out practitioners of community. I don't know, Tom, could you, could you come up now? I know you're also doing the, the words there, but. As, as a community, let's not give up meeting together. Let's, let's cultivate our own hearts. Let's share and join with one another and live out the life of the, go- the gospel in community as God calls us to do, calls us into. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.